This morning we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, and Matthew 6, 19 through 33. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we have an opportunity to return our tithes and our gifts and our offerings to you um, because all that we have has come to us through your kind and generous hand. And we pray that you would make us generous like you. Uh, Father, we pray that now as we prepare to sit beneath your word, we would be reminded more and more of your generosity that you have given to us, your only Son. And no matter how we have come this morning, because we have all come from different places in life, some have come anxious and some have come through these doors depressed and sorrowful and others have come happy and comfortable and still others angry and bitter. And others of us have come with many doubts and skeptical of everything that the church is and even what your word is. Father, we pray that you would meet with each of us this morning, and that you would be kind, that you would be generous, that you would be good to us, that you would remind us, each one of us, that no matter how we come, we're really all the same because we are all far more broken, far more sinful, far, far more twisted and fallen than we could ever imagine. And so we pray that you would help us to see Jesus this morning and to be reminded that in him, because of his person and work, it can also be true of us that though we are far more broken than we can imagine, 
we are also far more loved and far more secure, far more accepted than we could have ever dared to dream possible. We pray that you would do this for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This time I'll um, dismiss the children ages 3 to 6 to their children's church. You can make your way to the back of the sanctuary at this time. We've been uh, going through a series on relationships on Sunday mornings, and this morning we're going to talk together about generosity. Generosity is is a it's a broad, it's a big topic. Uh, but for our purposes this morning, we're going to focus um, on being generous with our money this morning with these passages that we read and, and others that I'll mention. Uh, Jesus, you may know. Um, he talked more about money and more about possessions than almost anything that he talked about. He talked about money and wealth and possessions certainly more than he ever talked about heaven, more than he ever talked about hell, more than he ever talked about any other sin, whether that was lust or lying or anger or whatever. You know, Paul wrote to the Ephesians in that passage we read earlier that basically that if we're not generous with our money to others, then we're stealing. Just, just so you know, <laughs> I don't normally go from like zero to 60, um, but, but here's where we are. Um, I, you know, I really want us to jump right in this morning. Um, Last year, a guy named Sam Polk, he wrote an article that ran in the New York Times, and Sam worked on Wall Street, and his first year out of college, his year-end bonus was $40,000. Not too shabby for your first, first year out of school. Four years later, 25 years old, he was pulling down a yearly salary of nearly $2 million dollars. Okay, four years after that, just his year-end bonus was $3.6 million. He was doing pretty well, but he was miserable. And that's why he wrote this article for the New York Times. He was envious, more envious than he had ever been in his life. He was angry. He was bitter. His relationships were toxic. His girlfriend left him because she hated who he had become. And he said in this article that, truth be told, he didn't like himself either. Right? In the article, he, ended, he described how he ended up flipping his value system upside down and leaving Wall Street altogether. And he went from being angry over a $3.6 million bonus that wasn't enough to working in jails and with the poor and in the foster system. And in the wake of his new value system, his relationships started to heal, right? right? He found freedom and happiness and love and marriage and on and on. You can read the article on your own. But anyway, I, I, wanna, I want us to shoot straight with each other this morning. Um, so let me just I want to try to turn the table a little bit for some perspective, because we've all heard about people like Sam Polk, and we've, we've heard a lot on our TVs about the wealthiest 1% in the, 
in America. So I, I want us to talk about the wealthiest 1% on planet Earth, okay? So you can look this up later, <clears throat> but if you make $50,000 or more per year, then you are in the wealthiest 1% of people on the face of, earth, of the earth. And so here's what that means. If you only make $40,000 or $30,000 a year, you are incredibly wealthy, right? It doesn't matter who you are, right? You, me, if you're making $40,000 a year, $300,000 a year, it's really, really difficult to be objective about your relationship to your money, right? Sam Polk wrote this. It's staggering to think that in the course of five years, I'd gone from being thrilled at my first bonus, $40,000, to being disappointed when my second year at the hedge fund, I was paid only, quotes, he puts it, $1.5 million. I mean, he said, it's staggering to think, right? Because it caught him off guard that he was like this, right? He didn't see it coming. And in fact, it was only in hindsight, really, that he could see it at all. We can see very easily problems of greed and stinginess and selfishness in others, right? But we almost always see it in ourselves last, right? Most of us in this room are wealthier than 99% of the world, and we have a really hard time seeing our problems with generosity. I'm not saying that you're generous or not this morning. But I want you to be just, I want you to try this morning as we make our way, I want you to try to be just a little bit suspicious, a little bit wary of your relationship to your money, right? I want you to play along with me, if you will, for like the next 20 minutes or so and be a little bit skeptical about your money. And let's just see where Jesus takes us, okay? So I want us to see three things this morning. Why we aren't generous, right? Why we have to be generous or we must be generous. Or, and how we can become generous. Okay, so first, why we aren't generous. And we see something very simple here in this point. Why aren't we generous? Because you and I, we're scared. We're afraid. There's a word that Jesus repeats several times in this passage in Matthew chapter 6. Anxiety. Not only in Matthew, but elsewhere. When Jesus talks about anxiety, fear, and worry, he talks about it in the context of our relationship with our money, with our wealth. And that's why the word therefore is what starts verse 25, connecting these two themes. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus said. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. It's really pretty sim- simple. We can't be generous because we're afraid. I'm going to come back to this um, in a little bit at the end and say something about Jesus' command here not to be anxious. Even if you don't struggle with it, for the longest time it felt cruel to me that Jesus <laughs> said that because I've struggled with anxiety and I still do, right? And here's what's interesting, though, about my struggles with anxiety. I hate being anxious. It's freaking miserable to be tied in knots. You don't like it. You don't want it. Nobody seeks for that. And it, it, 
you know, whenever I feel anxious, it feels like it's just something that kind of happened to me. It It doesn't feel like I had any kind of control there, whether or not I could obey this command to be or to not be anxious. Um, we'll come back to that later. Don't worry. That, is it? That was funny. You, you have to get the CD, get it online, whatever. But that was funny. Um, all right. Um, but for now, in this first point, I just want you to think about this. We aren't generous because we're scared. And thank you for laughing, Amanda. Um, in one sense, in one sense, if you understand this, that we aren't generous because we're scared, it might actually release you from some self-induced shame in your life. And here's what I mean. Our problem isn't intellectual or behavioral, right? I could lay out argument after argument, right, about why being generous and giving is really important, not only for others, but for those of us who need to give. It's good for us. Intellectually, you could follow those arguments, right? But following the arguments won't make you generous because it's not an intellectual problem. And it's not a behavioral problem. I could give you methods of behavior to practice with your money. I could talk to you about Dave Ramsey envelopes or percentages, right, or balance sheets. And guess what? Your behavior might change. You might actually give more. But I think we all know this. You can give and not be generous at all. Right? We aren't generous because we're anxious, we're scared, and we're afraid. Okay, last thing, and I'm done with this New York Times article by Sam Polk. Sam came to realize that money and greed were killing him. Right? Hardening his heart. That his greed was toxic, right? Destroying all his relationships. But it wasn't the intellectual arguments that were the hurdle to overcome or the behavior itself that was too difficult to manage. He wrote this. Despite my realizations, it was incredibly difficult to leave. I was terrified of running out of money. More than anything, I was afraid. And he goes on. In other words, I knew it was destructive and that it wasn't good for me. But the real difficulty in changing for me was that I was scared and I was afraid and I was anxious. See, until the fear was broken in his life and and until the fear is broken in your life and in mine, we can't be. We will never be generous. See, if you're still playing along with with me here and trying to be suspicious and skeptical and, and all of that and wary of your relationship with your money, then think about how fear and anxiety might be playing into the way you so very carefully and measurably give rather than being freely generous with your things. Think about how fear and anxiety might be playing into your rationalizations about why you shouldn't be generous. See, think about how how your fear and your anxiety might be doing more than you think, controlling more about your life and the way you save your money. See, maybe like me, you've even used wisdom as an excuse not to be generous. 
it just wouldn't be wise to give this at this time. And just so you know, in my own life, that's called spiritual smokescreen, right? That sounds pretty good. He's being wise. But really, he's being greedy and selfish. See, this fear and anxiety is playing into this. And I, I don't want you to mishear me here. It is not a sin to be wealthy. Right? There are plenty of examples of extremely wealthy people in the Bible who are also very generous. And for that matter, there's also plenty of examples of very poor people who are generous. All I'm asking this morning is if we could be honest with each other and we could try and see in our own lives the connection that Jesus himself makes between our money and our fears and anxiety. Well, let's move on. Second, why we must be generous or why we have to be generous. I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus is saying in this passage, there are only two options for you. Okay, When it comes to our money, we are either slaves to it or we are free. There's not really a third alternative or option available to us. And maybe that's all not super evident on the surface of things in verse 24. But Jesus was saying, you've got a choice between two masters. And one master will set you free. And the other master will shackle you, own you, and keep you in fear. Right? We must be generous because if we aren't, we'll become slaves to our money and to our possessions. The language of verse 24, I, I know it's difficult for moderns like us. Jesus calls money a master, right? And we want to say, well, but money's just money, right? It's just paper, right? It's an inanimate object. But Jesus is definitely saying here, he's saying it can become, money can become much more than just money in your life and mine if we aren't careful. It can become a master, a power that enslaves us. So we really need to be suspicious, wary, and skeptical of our relationship to our money. You know, it's a little unfair to throw this all out at you with so very few qualifying remarks, but Marva Dawn is a lady who's written extensively on what the Bible often refers to as powers and masters and principalities. And to paraphrase, she talks about how these powers are both external and connected to our human and social realities. In other words, money is an inanimate object, but don't you know that money so, so easily becomes so much more than just an object, right? It takes on different features because what it becomes for us is our security in an insecure world, right? It, it, it becomes our measure of worth in a cutthroat world. It becomes our hope in a world full of disappointment, right? It becomes our joy, our peace. Uh, it becomes our feeling of control in a world that's broken and fractured by the fall. We often think we own our wealth, and very often our wealth owns us. What we often call our possessions really, in the end, often are possessing us. Look, I know that some of us rolled our eyes and my feelings aren't hurt, um, at least internally. You know, at, at the beginning, when, when I said, asked you to play along and be suspicious of your relationship to your money. But listen, it was Jesus who said in, in Luke chapter 12 about our money and our possessions, he said this, Be on guard, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Jesus says, be on guard. Be suspicious. Right? Because security, hope, worth, joy, peace, whatever else you want to add to it, right? It doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Here's what I want you to think about. Jesus says be suspicious about your money. Be on guard. He never says be on guard against adultery. He never says be on guard against theft or be on guard against violence. Why is that? Because adultery, theft, and violence, those things don't usually catch us off guard. If, we, if, if we're committing adultery, if we're involved in violence or theft, we are often very, very aware of it and not surprised by it. But greed and stingy, stinginess and selfishness, it almost always catches us off guard. We hardly ever see it coming. We usually only recognize it in hindsight. It always seems harmless to us, right? That the way we spend doesn't seem like that big of a deal. The way we save, we've rationalized it all. Really, Paul? That's a little extreme to talk about how not being generous with our things is really the same as stealing. This is nothing. It's so innocent. It's so harmless. It's even wise, we might call it. The rough-skinned newt, okay? The rough-skinned newt. Um, It's very necessary that I tell this story this morning um, because for years I have used this illustration, but I never knew the details. I couldn't remember the details anyway. I just remembered a story about a newt and a frog um, that I once saw on uh, or heard and saw on the National Geographic Channel. But three weeks ago, I was sitting in my living room, and I was with my kids, and we were watching this program on National Geographic Channel called World's Weirdest. And the the rough-skinned newt came on. And that was my story. I never even knew what the thing was called. I'd been calling it a lizard for years. Um, but listen, it was, it was a beautiful moment. I felt vindicated, like, look, everything I say is true, kids. This is true. Um, but anyway, um, so in, in this little story about the, the rough-skinned newt, um, which I'm going to have to say its name like ten more times uh, just because I know it now. Um, but it was this cute little lizard-like amphibian, right? And it was in the forest, and it was on the bank of this little creek, and, and the, the cameras are zoomed in real tight, and the, the rough-skinned newt gets in the creek, and it starts floating down the creek. Um, well, there's this giant bullfrog waiting in the creek, and as soon as this tiny little newt gets close, the bullfrog pounces and swallows the rough-skinned newt whole, Right? Just gone, in a, and it's HD and all that beautiful stuff, and um, it's awesome. And, um, and the bullfrog climbs up onto the bank, and within seconds, that bullfrog was dead. And now I know why. <laughs> because, you, you know, you would have thought it was over for that rough-skinned newt. Well, but, but there were these tiny little glands on this newt that produced tetrodotoxin. Okay, I had to look that up. But it's lethal if it's ingested, right? And so the bullfrog climbed up onto the bank within seconds and died. But the camera stayed on the bullfrog. Because the next thing that happened was the rough-skinned newt, cute as it was, pushed open the mouth of the bullfrog, got back in the creek, and was on his merry little way. Like nothing ever happened, Right? Here's why I tell the story of the rough-skinned newt. Everybody should go Wikipedia, the rough-skinned newt, this afternoon. 
That little three to four inch lizard looking thing, right? Cute as it was, it looked so harmless. But it was lethal. It was full of toxic poison. We have to be generous. We must be generous. Because what doesn't appear to us, doesn't appear to us to be very dangerous, money, wealth, and possessions, if you're grasping for it, if you love it too much, right, it it won't own you. Or it will own you. You won't own it. It'll kill you. It's toxic, right? And the harder you grasp, and the more you reach for it, The more you desire it, the tighter the shackles will become in your life. Be suspicious. It's a master. We must be generous. Okay, finally. Okay, if we aren't generous because we're afraid, and if we realize that we must be generous because money is seeking to own us, right? Then finally, how can we become generous? The author Marva Dawn, who I quoted just a moment ago, uh, she writes about how money, instead of being a master, how, how, we can, how it can become just money to us again. This is what she writes, or part of what she writes. She writes, when, in, when instead we return it to God, use it sparingly, give it away generously, and in other ways, desacralize it, we triumph over it. And I love how she puts that, when we desacralize it. Right, we, When we put it in its right place, take it off of its pedestal, right? When we stop looking for life in it. So in this last point, I, I want to give you four things that if you do them, will desacralize your money and help you become more generous. And we'll give them to you real quick, and then I'll just say a brief thing about each of them. We desacralize money and become generous by arguing, by resting, by pursuing and by seeing, okay? First, by arguing. Okay, this passage in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus, especially in verse 25 through 33, where Jesus is talking to us about birds and flowers, right? If the birds don't sow or reap and yet are fed, and if the flowers don't toil or spin, yet they're clothed in beauty and all that stuff, and Jesus says at the end of each of these, right, are you not more valuable than these, I wish we could do a lot more with this, but what Jesus is doing is he's setting up a technical kind of argument, right? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. The theologian Sinclair Ferguson, he once wrote that anxious people think untheologically about life. And that's a great quote to write down in your bulletin. Um, anxious people think untheologically about life. Um, the moment you start to feel anxiety and worry creeping in, you are beginning to think untheologically about life, right? You've, well, listen, you could think of many more examples than these, but Jesus did give you two, birds and flowers, right? Use the birds and flowers, Jesus is saying, to argue truth into your heart when you are becoming untheological about life. Look at the powerful providence of God ruling all things. Birds and flowers don't need to worry because the mighty sovereign God is reigning upon his throne and taking care of them. Are you not more valuable than they are? So first we become generous by arguing truth into our hearts. But second we become generous by resting. I want you to listen closely here because I want you to see a wonderful distinction. It's one thing to see that God is able 
right? That God is able in his wise, powerful preserving of all things in his providence to clothe the flowers of the field and to feed the birds. But it's another thing to see that it's his goodness, that it's his goodness that moves him to clothe the flowers of the field and feed the birds of the air, right? God can feed the birds and and clothe the flowers, but it's because of his goodness that he does. And I don't care who you are. I I really don't care what you've done. I don't care what your story is, right? What each of us needs is to be utterly and completely convinced of God's goodness to us. When you get that, when you get this, that the one who orders and reigns over all things from his throne, that he works all things for your good because he is crazy in love, for, in love with you. When you get that, it begins to break down anxiety in your life. And you will know that you can rest in him. A story I've, I've told a number of times, a friend of mine was in Walmart one day and he was He was doing his shopping, and he heard a kid an aisle over screaming and crying, you know. Um, And as you and I would expect, the child was screaming over, like, toys or something like that. Um, We've all seen that. That's why we hate Walmart on Saturday mornings. And so, so he turned the corner, and he saw a kid who was alone by himself, a little boy who got separated from his mother and was panicked and afraid and terrified Anxious, maybe, right? And he said he watched it, just wondering what is he supposed to do. And the mom came around the corner. The reason he told me this story was because he wanted to tell me that within 30 seconds of that mother scooping that frightened, terrified child up in her arms, that child was fast asleep. You go from terror to being fast asleep. Our fear... And our anxiety, we've been saying, keeps us from being generous. Knowing the goodness of God personally is what's going to give us rest, right? And it's also what's going to set us free to be generous. Because listen, when you know that you are beloved son or daughter of the king, you don't don't need money anymore to define you, right? To tell you your value, your worth, your security, right? You don't need it for that anymore. You have all you need. In his loving arms. Third, we become generous by pursuing. Okay, all, all this important talk about danger of wealth and money in this last point. And I know initially it sounds a little strange, um, but, but the way to get free from this danger it, it isn't really from running from money necessarily, but it is by running towards something or someone else. Right? Money can be just money in your life. You can, make a, you can make a whole lot of it and not be selfish with it. You can own things and not be owned by things. But to do that, you have to pursue. To, you know, pursue money and wealth and possessions, and those things are going to rule you, and they're going to be a cruel, harsh taskmaster in your life. It will wear you thin and will wear you out trying to get it. But there is another master who, if you pursue him, will give you rest, right? Will set you free, will fill you with joy. Here's how Jesus puts it in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things 
will be added to you. Pursue God's kingdom. Pursue his righteousness. He's the one master who can set you free. See, when Jesus is telling us and commanding us not to be anxious, what he's saying is he's putting in front of us. He's saying, instead, I'm commanding you to seek the kingdom. And if you seek the kingdom, you won't be anxious. Okay, fourth, we become generous by seeing. Okay, this is a very, very important last piece of application. Because this final piece of application is really how you do all the other pieces of application, okay? And and I want to give you this point through a story, though. Um, Like I said, Jesus talked a lot about money. You read through the Gospels, he seems like he's always talking about it. And one very short, somewhat familiar story that Jesus told involved a poor widow. It wasn't a parable. It was something Jesus saw. When Jesus is impressed about something, we ought to take notice. And he was impressed with this poor widow. Jesus was in the temple, and all these wealthy people, they were coming by, and they had, it was kind of a public giving kind of thing. There were these receptacles in the temple where you would drop your money, and it would make a lot of sound in these brass uh, containers that they, ha- they had. And so you would drop it in, the wealthy were dropping in these huge sums, Jesus tells us. And then comes this poor little widow, and all she has is two small copper coins. Clink, clink. They go. No one else probably noticed it. It wasn't worth noticing for most people, but Jesus noticed it. And he saw things from a very different perspective. Immediately, it so impressed him that he immediately called his disciples. I mean, can you you, guys, come here. You've got to see this. I've got to tell you about something. And this is what he said. Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. There's a distinction we need to see. Jesus says about the wealthy, they were giving huge sums of money. But they contributed out of their abundance. In other words, they gave out of their margins. Right? They gave, but it didn't really affect their lifestyle. Because they, I don't, they went on vacations back then, but they still went on the same vacations. They still went out to eat at the same restaurants. They still contributed the same amount to their 401k. Right? Nothing changed. Right? They weren't really affected by it. By contrast, this widow put in everything she had. She wasn't giving out of the margins. There were no margins for her. When she put those two coins in, she put her very life at risk. Right? She put in everything. All she had to live on. You see Jesus' different perspective? He says she put in more than all the others. Because when she gave, it was costly. When she gave, it hurt. When she gave, it was risky. But she was free. Poor as she was, she was free, free to give. Now, now let me take this in a perhaps slightly different direction as we conclude things. Um, Especially you need to hear this. If you are expecting a guilt trip, because that's what we expect a lot of times in church when we talk about money, right? Why did Jesus pay such close attention to this poor widow and her two coins. 
the end of those verses I read to you was Jesus saying that she put in everything she had, all she had to live on. All she had to live on. And the Greek word there is bios, where we get our biology, right? The study of life. Jesus is saying she put in her life. Right? He saw something. He saw something on this poor widow. And I wonder if you can see it too. He saw this poor widow as a pointer to what was lying just ahead of him. An ugly, horrible death on a cross. Because she gave figuratively. When she gave, she risked her life. But he was going to give his life actually. And it wasn't going to be at the risk of his life. He was going to lose his life for his people. See, you will become generous and money will be desacralized in your life when you see God on the cross for you. Right? You know, it's truly terrifying to give and to be generous. Um, I think we all feel it with our money. We're scared and we're anxious because to give like this, to give like this widow, would be to lose control. It would be to lose control in your life. Let me tell you this. This is something beautiful. Jesus will never ask you to do something that he has not already done for you. Lose control, but see, right? See that God himself, Jesus, lost control for you. Jesus was wealthy beyond what you or I could ever imagine. He had riches beyond compare at his Father's right hand. But he left it, he gave it all away. He came and he was born, right, in a dirty, smelly feed trough. The king of kings, not in a palace. Why did he give it all away? And, and why did he descend? No one has descended ever that, that great a distance. Why did he descend into poverty like this? For you, for me. He gave it all up because you were the treasure he had to redeem. Listen, you have to let the sight of Jesus at the cross, giving his bios, his life for you, that has to come in and conquer all your fears and conquer all your worries and all your anxieties. When you see Jesus... When you see your master on the cross dying for you, money will cease to be a master in your life. When you see Jesus giving his life to have you, you will have a truth that you can argue deep into your heart. When you see Jesus welcoming you with his outstretched, nail-pierced hands, you will realize that you can rest in the goodness of God. And when you see Jesus pursuing you as his treasure, you will finally have something in your life that is worth pursuing. Last little thing. We actually need a sacrament to help in this battle of desacralizing our money. And we have that in this table. Right? In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that God has given us, in this table, we have elements of bread and wine that represent to us and remind us of Jesus' body and his blood. It's a sacrament you can taste. It's a sacrament you can touch. And when the plate comes around, it's a sacrament you can see. And I want you to see in this sacrament this morning the goodness of God, that an abundance of life, it is found in Jesus, not in your wealth, 
not in your things. He so loved us that he gave his life for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the time that we have had to be together, to sing your praises, to lift up our prayers, to hear of our wonderful assurance of pardon. We thank you for the time that we have had to be in your word together, to be reminded of Jesus, to perhaps see for the very first time what Jesus has done for us. Father, we pray that you would reveal to us, that you would show us in your kindness the ways in which we are not generous, and that you would show us that we must be generous and that we can be generous because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, we pray that you would help us to see this. And by seeing this, in the moments of our most difficult anxieties and fears, we would be able to argue this truth deep into our heart. We would be able to see your goodness. And we would be given grace that we might pursue you and your kingdom. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.